Now, aside from cutting out liquid sugar, is there anything else you would say is really important to watch out for to managing that body weight? Well, it, the number one thing, it always comes down to the total amount of calories that you're eating. People usually do this like per day, mm. but you could look at this more in like sort of a larger scale context. Mm -hmm. How much are you eating per week, per month, per year? Because mm -hmm. I guarantee that if you're like eating the right amount every day and then the next week you eat double that, it's not going to be effective. That's so, a good point. Yeah. yeah. And so what you want to do initially is to determine like, okay, how much food should I be eating? You could use a calorie calculator online, but these are very inaccurate. Yeah. So the best thing to do is to start there. Use one of these online. They're free. It's going to ask you some simple questions like, how old are you? What is your gender? How active are you? Mm -hmm. And then it's going to tell you how much it thinks you need to eat to either stay the same weight, mm -hmm. or you could eat a little bit less than that and lose weight or eat a little more and gain weight. Mm -hmm. Problem is, it's not really accurate. Yeah. So what you want to do, try eating that much for a couple weeks, stand on the scale. Are you the same weight as you were two weeks ago? Yeah. If you are, then it was right. Mm -hmm. If you aren't, then it wasn't and make a little adjustment. Yeah. And then you'll find pretty quickly exactly how much you should be eating. Welcome to the Unlimited You podcast. Believing firmly in the limitless potential that resides within each individual, your hosts, Master Victor Almeida, a distinguished martial arts expert, and Andy Freebird, a holistic health coach specializing in calisthenics, nutrition, and strength training, are here to guide you in unlocking your inner power. Each episode offers practical knowledge from strength training techniques to the calming practices of meditation, tailored to enhance your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. Join us on this empowering journey and embrace the warrior that lies within you. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of The Unlimited You. Welcome back. Andy and I are here to talk about nutrition today and nutrition's role, especially in recovery and how important it is for you to get proper, you know, vitamins, minerals inside of your body, especially after you work out. So let's get right into it. I guess we can first talk about the essentials of the macronutrients and micronutrients. Mm -hmm and their role in rehabilitating your body after an exercise? Sure, yeah. What would you say, I guess, would be the, the biggest ones to focus on, let's say, after intense exercise? I think that's a great question. Mm -hmm. And to start with, I'm just going to very simply break down what macronutrients are mm -hmm. and what micronutrients are and what the difference is for those of you who are not familiar. So macronutrients are the main components of the food that we eat. There are three main components, which I'm sure everyone's heard of carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. Micronutrients are the vitamins and minerals that you need in your diet. Mm. And that's also very important for a lot of the things that your body does. Mm. So when it comes to recovering from exercise, the most important thing is going to be to ingest protein to rebuild the damage to your muscles that takes place mm -hmm. when you're exercising. So your muscles are made out of proteins and a need to create more proteins, not only to heal, but also to grow bigger. Mm -hmm. Carbohydrates are also very important after a workout because you're burning that carbs as fuel while you're working out and you want to replenish it afterwards so that you have more fuel to use again. Absolutely. And I would say fats also, healthy fats are important because you're going to need that in order to build, for example, the cell walls, the actual lipid wall is made out of fats. So eating fats is a very important part of your diet too. And your body can use fat for energy as well. Yeah. 
And uh, where would you say micronutrients comes into play here? From a recovery standpoint, I think we talked about last time that vitamin C mm-hmm. is essential for recovery. You know, vitamin D is important for your immune system. You know, calcium is important for development and recovery of your bones. Really, I would say that if you want to be the best possible version of yourself, you want to make sure that you cover all your bases in macro and micronutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get more into that down the road, but the best source of micronutrients is still going to be food. So, you know, you can take supplements for micros mm-hmm. if you want. You could take a multivitamin and that's great, but food is always going to be better. Would you say magnesium and potassium would go into that micronutrient group? Yeah. So now we're getting into what electrolytes. Okay. And we can talk a little bit about what electrolytes do. Okay. They basically allow the mitochondria, which you might be familiar with, you know it, right? Yeah, the yeah. powerhouse of the cell, uh-huh. right? So they actually help power the mitochondria. And there's actually, it's called an electrolyte because it's bioelectrical. Yes. It's actually stimulating electricity. So those electrolytes are you know, potassium, sodium, primarily, and those are going to modulate how much water is going into the cell mm-hmm. and how much of that water is going into the blood. And that directly correlates to, you know, the size of the muscle, I would guess, because you know, your muscle is mostly made up of water. Yeah. As it bulks up, you need to be able to take in water into your muscles. Yeah. So if you have those electrolytes, you can more readily get the water into your muscles. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up also because carbohydrates have this effect too. Mm. When you eat carbs, most of those carbs are going to be stored in the actual muscle tissue. Some of it's going to be stored in your liver. Yeah. But Interesting. you can even kind of think of it by combining like, you know, sodium and carbs together with water, you're going to hydrate a lot better because it's bringing that into the tissue. It's not just circulating through your blood, it's actually bringing it into the cells. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when you get extremely dehydrated and you know they give you that IV, it's got electrolytes essentially. Yes. Yeah. Sodium's yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I actually went to a hot yoga class the other day, sweat more than I knew I was capable of sweating. Just to give a little background, I have sweat a lot in my life. I've expeditioned to Amazon. I've like, you know, we, we wrestled in the Florida heat. Like yeah. I regularly meditate in like a 200 degree sauna. This thing, so much harder, oh. so much harder. But right afterwards I drank, immediately drank an electrolyte drink That's to right. replenish that. Yeah. Interesting. What would be some of the pros and cons of supplemental aids? And I guess let's say you're not getting those macro micronutrients. I guess what would be some benefits of taking a supplement or I guess the negatives of it too. Yeah. So some supplements you can't really like take too much of. Hmm. Typically what we call water soluble vitamins. So these are vitamins that are actually circulating through your blood Mm -hmm. and they don't really have like a storage organ per se, Hmm. right? Whereas we have fat soluble vitamins, these actually are stored in your liver tissue, Hmm. right? So like B vitamins, for example, are going to be stored, I believe in the liver. So with the water-soluble vitamins like vitamin C, all of the excess that you consumed, you would just excrete through your by, yeah, through urine. Mm-hmm. It's the vitamins A, D, E, and K are the ones that you want to make sure you don't consume too much of. Hmm. And I wouldn't just assume that you're deficient in something, hmm. right? Like if you're concerned about that you might have a deficiency, you should probably go get some blood work done, hmm. go to your doctor and see if you actually do need to maybe raise something up because you may even have an issue with your gut, that makes it difficult to absorb certain nutrients. It yeah. may be essential that you actually take supplements. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, let's say, especially lately, there's been a big uptick in people having reverse osmosis filters for their water. So that way they get clean water. 
And a lot of these reverse osmosis filters, which is essentially passing water through a membrane and you leave dirty water behind and you have perfectly distilled water that has no nutrients in it. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of these filters will re-add minerals back into their yeah. water. You know, what, what would you say is like the important nutrients or minerals that are in the water that we use and require? That's a really good question, actually. So one of the problems with filtering water, you know, even if you're not using reverse osmosis, because most of us are not going to be doing that at home, but if you have like a Brita filter or something like that, is that depending on how much you filter that water, it may actually be completely deficient mm. in electrolytes, mm -hmm. vitamins and minerals. And if you're drinking too much water, hypohydrating, you're actually excreting all of those that you have in your body. So yeah. you're like getting increasingly depleted. You're just diluting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you add those electrolytes back in. Now you can go online and you can get like electrolyte tablets. You can get like a solution, but drop it in. It's not going to taste great. So a lot of times they put, you know, like stevia and flavoring in like a tablet. Mm. Uh, but in reality, actually sea salt, specifically like pink salt, like Himalayan salt, yeah. actually contains already all of the essential, yeah, yeah like vitamins and minerals that you would need, mm -hmm. uh, or sorry, micronutrients and minerals that you need. So I would just recommend doing that, you mm -hmm. know, then you're going to get your sodium, your potassium and everything else that your mitochondria need to function properly. Yeah. Absolutely. I used to in the morning just drink like a liter of water with like a couple pinches of sea salt in it. Yeah. Just to rehydrate, yeah. And just kind of bring up the point about the Brita filters. They're essentially a activated carbon filter that only removes chlorine, chloramines, and heavy metals. They don't do a really good job at actually filtering the contaminants out of the water. So if you're gonna yeah. look at a water filtration system, you wanna look at at least a three-part filtration system or even a three-part with a reverse osmosis filter. That way you properly filter all of the water, get the contaminants out, and you're left with distilled water. Now you want to make sure you don't drink distilled water because mm. I've done this by accident. We we bought some water that wasn't properly labeled. Oh, and you thought and it was like spring water. Or yeah, something. yeah, and I could feel myself getting more dehydrated the more I drank it. And that's exactly what we were just talking about. Yeah, like my mouth felt drier. And you want to make sure that you're not ingesting that because it can actually take the essential vitamins out of your organs mm -hmm. and then it's going to cause organ shutdowns and yeah. then you're in a whole different mess and not acutely but like over time and time like yeah. you're just deficient in everything that you need and this kind of segues into the importance of hydration you know like how important would you say it is to not only stay hydrated but to maintain that especially during an intense workout that's a okay that's a really good question People love to give general recommendations about how much water to drink. <laughs> yeah. Probably all seen those bottles that are like have the times on them yeah. to encourage people to drink water. That's better than not drinking water. There's no real rule of thumb here because there's so many factors. For example, what conditions are you training? Maybe it's really hot and humid. Well, you're going to sweat a lot more. So yeah. hydration, usually you're going to want to match that to like sweat loss. Mm -hmm. Sweat loss can be really hard to measure though, especially if it's evaporating off your body. It's not like you're sweating into a bucket and then weighing it. Yeah. You know? So typically they say like drink the thirst, mm -hmm. right? And they also say that by the time you feel thirsty, you're technically already were dehydrated a little prior to that sensation. Yeah. What I would say is like the most important thing is just to make sure that you're drinking water that actually has electrolyte content in it. Mm -hmm. Because we were talking about, we're not trying to drink water, we're trying to hydrate and that's different. Yes. Drinking water just means it's going in your stomach. Mm -hmm. Hydrating means it's going into the cells and allowing them to perform work. Yeah. 
in that regard, something that's kind of strange is that actually milk has been shown in clinical research to be superior for hydration Interesting. than not only water, but all sport drinks like Gatorade, Powerade, all that stuff. Hmm. And it could also be that it's just a better version of it, essentially. Like it's just carbs and, you know, electrolytes. Fat, protein. Yeah. And so it's going to the body like a little bit more easily. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a study on this where uh, they were testing the effects of these different drinks on an athlete while they were exercising. So they would essentially do their max amount of pull-ups and then drink water mm. and do their max amount of pull-ups and drink Gatorade. Yeah. And the study showed that actually like chocolate milk was, was superior. had the biggest effect. <laughs> yeah, of course. Where, yeah. you know, it has all of those different things, right? Yeah. Different vitamins, fats, proteins. Which the Gatorade and water does not because Gatorade only has carbs. There are no fats or proteins in it. Your body actually wants those other macros in real time as you're training. Yes, because it, it's using them as energy. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And this is especially important during extended training sessions where you're doing high intensity training and you're exerting a high level of energy. If you're not hydrating, you're going to start to feel lightheaded. You're going to start to feel dizzy. And that's not only going to affect your training, but you can end up hurting yourself where you get your body to the point where it doesn't want to take in anything. You're going to start puking and it's going to be an endless cycle of mm -hmm. you puking and not being able to ingest water. And then you'll have to go to the hospital and get an IV. Because you can't keep it down. I've actually had that happen yeah. to me. It's horrible. Don't Oof. put yourself in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you want to know your limits. If you're starting to feel lightheaded, get some water immediately. Yeah, immediately. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple things I'd like to say about that. Yeah. When you pointed out just now, it's like, it's not just about the extreme end of this where you can end up like hospitalized from dehydration, but it's also about performance benefit. Even mm. just being this much dehydrated is going to affect your ability to think clearly, focus, move reactively. So if we're trying to be as optimal as possible, we want to stay optimally hydrated. Second thing I want to say was that the best way to actually tell how hydrated you are is actually to look at your urine. Mm. Now, people will say that your urine should be clear if you're hydrated. This is not true. Your urine should be extremely pale. Because you run the risk of hypohydration. If your urine's constantly clear, you may just be over-consuming water. Yeah. If it's any darker, then very, very light yellow. And also keep in mind, when you pee into a toilet, it's diluting the color. It's yeah. going into water. Yeah. So I want you to look at the shade that it is and imagine that it's actually a shade darker than that. Yeah. If it has anything more than the palest yellow, you are dehydrated and you should immediately drink water or some kind of beverage that has electrolytes in it so it can get in your body. Yeah. yeah. And if it's perfectly clear... You need to put some electrolytes in there immediately yeah, too. Yeah, good point. So both. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then let's say timing of meals, right? So a lot of people struggle with portion control and when to eat. They'll eat dinner and then two hours later come back for another snack. Hmm. Would you say that there's kind of like an ideal or it varies per person, per situation on like when to eat their meals? It's a little bit of both. Hmm. Like there kind of is an ideal, but what's ideal for a person is what they're going to do and what works. So some people strive for perfection, mm -hmm. but it's not really something attainable to them. And so then they just don't do it at all. The best plan is what you're going to stick to. Yeah. Now, what is ideal from a standpoint of muscle growth and recovery has been shown in clinical research to be approximately six times a day. Hmm. That way you're keeping a steady rhythm of what's called muscle protein synthesis where there's this constant influx of new proteins to the muscles, allowing them to regenerate. Mm. Most people are not probably gonna eat six times a day though. So really the total amount of calories, the total amount of food you eat per day, you can split it into any number of meals you want. Mm -hmm. 
Some people only like to eat one meal a day. Typically, more meals throughout the day is going to be something more like a bodybuilder would do to try to put on mass. Yeah. And condensing your meals into less meals, that can often help a person lose weight, hmm. right? Think about like intermittent fasting, for example. Mm -hmm. You just have a smaller window of the day in which you eat. So it's yeah. harder to con you know, consume a lot of food in that smaller window. Yeah, that mm -hmm. makes sense. Absolutely. So it's almost essentially like grazing. Yeah. yeah. And I think also you want to think about how this goes with training because you want to make sure that when you eat a pre-training uh, meal that you give yourself enough time for it to digest. Mm. You're not feeling it slosh around in your stomach yes. while you're trying to, you know, spar with someone, right? Or come up. Yeah, or yeah. come up. And then you want to replenish that stuff like immediately after. So you want to like think about, okay, going into the, uh, the workout, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to need more carbohydrates mm -hmm. for energy, some healthy fats. Coming out of the workout, I'm going to need a more protein-rich meal to rebuild everything. So one of the things that we learned in high school for football was that carbohydrates, you need to eat them the day before mm -hmm. for them to have the optimal effect. Mm -hmm. And then during the exercise, sugars, proteins are kind of more readily available and easier to break down. Yes. Would you say that's... Yeah, so what Victor's talking about is called carb loading, and this is really popular for endurance athletes because... Endurance athletes, they're using almost entirely like carbohydrates and, and combined with oxygen mm -hmm. uh, in order to produce the energy they need to, to keep going. It's essentially a slower method of producing energy, but it kind of has a... It's more efficient. It's more potent, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's way higher in efficiency. So what you could do, like I said earlier, you're storing those carbs in all the muscles in your body. Mm -hmm. So what you could do is the night before or the day before, consume a lot of carbohydrates, but you would want to consume complex carbohydrates, mm. which means that the molecular chain is more complicated than what we call a simple sugar. Mm -hmm. So sugar is also a carbohydrate, mm -hmm. but it's typically just a very simplistic molecule, like a, maybe a disaccharide molecule, where you just have literally two stuck together, that's it. Then a complex carb could be like a whole chain, like mm -hmm. a, you know, glycogen. Those would be better for loading. Then like right before you're actually training or even during something that's very simple, like some honey or some fructose, yeah. that will give you even more energy. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's really important where, you know, like let's say after you eat dinner, you're gonna consume a bunch of sugar. That sugar, you're probably gonna go down and sit down on a chair. It's all, it instantly yeah. gonna transition into fat. Or I prefer to take my sugar during an exercise or after an exercise to replenish the body. And then that gets, processed in my body immediately and then used for energy where it's not just sitting there. I'm really glad you said that mm. because honestly, kind of like a good rule of thumb with this mm. is if you're not about to use your energy, go for complex carbs. Yeah. If you're about to use your energy, go for simple carbs, go for sugar. Yeah. Don't eat sugar and not move. That's how you get diabetes. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. yeah. And like, I have a big sweet tooth. I love, I love chocolate. Which one is cream. it? Which tooth? All of them. <laughs> I have sweet teeth. <laughs> oh boy, that's yeah. a problem. Yeah, it is. It is. I'll eat a whole like plate of fudge if you leave it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's bad. Okay. So I'll I have remember to be never to do that. Very adamant about, you know, controlling my portions, you know, and that for a long time was a challenge. And it got me to, to a point where I had to be aware of my desire, right? That, that mental desire of like this sugar is actually releasing endorphins and making me happy to ingest it, mm -hmm. but it's only temporary. Mm -hmm. In the long run, it's gonna end up building fat, it's gonna end up leading to diabetes and all these other issues that yeah. I didn't want. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that main issue is gonna be your sensitivity to sugar. 
mm. is going to start to get messed up if you're like over consuming it and that's what diabetes is and then your cells can no longer utilize yeah that sugar yeah and this kind of gets into like managing your weight and body composition I, I think one of the biggest things that i removed from my diet that had the biggest impact was liquid sugar where like oh, sodas juice once i removed that i saw a drastic drop in my weight do you yeah. want to talk more about like how to maintain that body composition and keeping off weight sure well it's interesting that you pointed out that liquid sugar mm -hmm. it's always easier to consume calories by drinking it everybody who's had a, a you know getting over food poisoning or something maybe it's yeah. like you don't want to eat something you're going for like a smoothie maybe first right yeah. it's way easier to get a liquid down yeah. so in general liquid macros are the things you want to cut out so that's going to be like soda sugar stuff like that but it's also going to be things that are really high in liquid fat hmm. which is oil so like fried food for example the calorie calories from that and also like potato chips junk food most of those calories are actually coming not from the potato it's coming from all of the oil hmm. that they're cooking it in yeah so and not only is it like nobody's sitting there drinking oil but you don't want to, <laughs> I hope not, <laughs> but, but you don't want to eat foods that have a ton of oil added to them because they've added those liquid calories into the food. Yeah. It's going to be way more calories than it should be. Absolutely. That's a good point. Yeah. And what I've noticed is after really changing my diet, I've gotten pretty far away from a lot of these heavy fried foods, especially deep fried foods. They have started to smell different to me hmm. where I used to smell some fried food and I'd be like, oh, let me go eat that. I want some, I want some. And now it's like, it doesn't even smell like it would be good for me. That's know? really interesting because I noticed the other day, hmm. like I don't eat fried food very often, once in a blue moon, yeah. you know. That's, that's good. Gotta enjoy, <laughs> enjoy life, you know. But I noticed the other day smelling some, some roasted peanuts hmm. that all of a sudden it reminded me of McDonald's. Huh. And I was like, why am I thinking about McDonald's? And I realized, oh, because they fry everything in peanut oil. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as you walk hmm. in there, that aroma you're smelling is actually oil. Interesting. Interesting. Now, aside from cutting out liquid sugar, uh, is there anything else you would say is kind of really important to watch out for to managing that body weight? Well, it, the number one thing, it always comes down to the total amount of calories that you're eating. People usually do this like per day, mm. but you could look at this more in like sort of a larger scale context. Mm -hmm. How much are you eating per week, per month, per year? Because mm -hmm. I guarantee that if you're like eating the right amount every day and then the next week you eat double that it's not going to be effective that's so, a good point yeah. yeah and so what you want to do initially is to determine like okay how much food should i be eating mm -hmm. you could use a calorie calculator online but these are very inaccurate yeah so the best thing to do is to start there use one of these online they're free it's going to ask you some simple questions like how old are you what is your gender how active are you mm -hmm. And then it's going to tell you how much it thinks you need to eat to either stay the same weight mm. or you could eat a little bit less than that and lose weight or eat a little more and gain weight. Mm. Problem is, it's not really accurate. Yeah. So what you want to do, try eating that much for a couple weeks. Stand on the scale. Are you the same weight as you were two weeks ago? Yeah. If you are, then it was right. Mm -hmm. If you aren't, then it wasn't and make a little adjustment. Yeah. And then you'll find pretty quickly exactly how much you should be eating. Now, the, the, something important to consider when doing this is, let's say you're exercising, doing especially weight training, and you're doing this, you might see an increase in your weight because mm -hmm. you're gaining muscle, and you might have actually lost fat. And this kind yeah. of gets into 
that measuring specific exactly. body parts might really come in handy to utilize during that. And then for, for managing body weight, uh, one of the portion control things that I've kind of implemented is if I'm not exercising, I will like very intuitively, but also intentionally eat less because I'm, I'm not using or outputting that much energy. So mm -hmm. I don't need to intake, even though I'm be just as hungry. And the more I exercise, the hungrier I get, the more food I want to put in because I've exerted that energy. So, you know, during my rest days over the weekend, sometimes I try not to eat as much where like, you know, on the weekend you want to go enjoy yourself. You might eat like two dinners and two desserts and stuff like that. And that might end up canceling out all that good work you did that week because you put in all this fat, all this sugar in all, all at the same time. Yeah. And you're resting and all that's getting transferred into body fat. Yes. Yeah. I take a very similar approach to Victor. Actually, I base what I'm eating and when I'm eating it around my training. So if I'm not training hard that day, I don't need to eat as much food. Mm. And I'm going to change what kinds of food that I'm eating based on my recovery needs. Mm -hmm. So for example, I was very inactive physically yesterday. So I only consumed yesterday, I think around a thousand calories, but mm. on other days I consume as much as 3000, 3,500 calories. Mm. If I'm burning a ton yeah. and maybe if I'd use my muscles a lot, I need a lot more protein that day to recover. Yeah, absolutely. And let's say like you exercise, you're really sore the next day. What would be something that you can eat to kind of reduce that soreness? Okay, so we did talk about vitamin C last time. We'll mm -hmm. help with that. Hydration is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Without it, you're not going to deliver anything to the muscles that allows them to heal. So protein's going to be number one there. Yeah. But something that I really recommend people is to add additional leucine to their protein. Mm. The first thing you want to do is you want to pick a protein that already is high in leucine content. Just to tell you a little bit about what leucine is, proteins are made out of smaller pieces called amino acids. Mm -hmm. Now, your muscles are made of protein. But the amino acid that they're primarily made of is leucine. Mm -hmm. And different proteins have different compositions of amino acids. So the proteins that are highest in leucine are going to be the best at repairing your muscles. Mm -hmm. Those proteins are going to come from animal products, primarily milk and eggs. Mm -hmm. To a lesser degree, but still pretty good, is going to be meat like chicken and beef and that kind of thing. Now, you can take leucine refined mm -hmm. and add it to that. So what you could do, the highest bioavailable protein would be whey protein isolate, mm -hmm. extremely high in leucine. Then you can take leucine, which you can get isolated and add it to that. Mm. Take that as a supplement in a shake, and I would add carbohydrates to it. I would suggest maybe maltodextrin. Mm. It's like more of a like starchy carb, but like powdered, mm. right? So you can digest it easily and quickly, but it's not giving you that like immediate sugar rush like a simple sugar would. And that complex carb is going to help, like I said, bring it into the muscle because it needs to enter the muscle to store that energy. It's going to actually help synergize bringing the protein, bringing the leucine into that muscle to repair it, to heal it. Now I've heard that you can also add vitamin D to this combination mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. help stimulate that even more. Yes, absolutely. Mm. And I would also recommend, in addition to that, collagen peptides mm. because it's not just your muscles we got to recover. It's the tendons and ligaments. Yes, connective yeah. tissue. Now, if let's say you're vegan or vegetarian and you don't ingest animal proteins, mm -hmm. it's extremely important for you to get more than one kind of protein mm. because the proteins that you get out of plants, they're more basic. So they're not as complex proteins and you need to get a variety of them in order to complete that entire protein 
combination. Yes. So let's say you're taking a protein and it only has, you know, pea protein, then you need to be ingesting something else that has maybe pea protein, nut protein, there's, you know, pumpkin seed protein, flaxseed protein, there's an endless list of them. So make sure that if you are, you know, vegan or vegetarian, you're ingesting different types, at least three different kinds of proteins for you to complete that combination. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be really kind of starving yourself in that protein level. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because you can actually eat foods that do not have complete proteins, meaning they have most of the amino acids, but not all of them to complete the protein chain. Mm -hmm. And then your body can take those pieces, take those amino acids and actually synthesize proteins out of it and mm -hmm. put them together. So when it comes to eating plants, very few plants have what, a complete protein. Mm -hmm. Like peanuts, for example, no, they don't actually contain complete proteins, but they're miss, missing, I think it's a, a thionine if I'm not mistaken, but that's so abundant in other foods yeah. that your body will simply add it with it, yeah. creating proteins out of it. So when it comes to vegan proteins, the highest bioavailability you're gonna get is gonna be hemp protein, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Actually, surprisingly, potato protein is almost on par with like milk and eggs. Oh. However, potatoes are so low in protein content, it's not really effective to like isolate a protein powder out of potatoes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So when it comes to like supplementing for vegans, keep in mind, you can get leucine and, other, and the other branch chain amino, aminos, uh, isoleucine and valine, you can get those vegan. Mm. They can make it out of sunflower. Mm. And I would highly suggest doing that. And I would also say if you're vegan, definitely take protein powder because if you eat meat, there are foods that are almost entirely protein, mm -hmm. right? Like a chicken breast, that's like 100% protein. Mm. Lean cut of beef, almost entirely protein. Mm -hmm. But there's no plant like that. Every plant is either predominantly going to be carbohydrates or fats in its macro mm. profile. And then some of them have some proteins, but without adding protein, you'll never get to the protein levels that a meat eater would get to pretty easily. Yeah. And I want to talk about also vegan collagen, hmm. where, you know, if you take normal collagen, it's, it's already collagen, right? Now the vegan collagen is essentially helping the body stimulate the natural production of collagen. Huh. You're not ingesting actual collagen because that's derived from animals. Right. So, you know, as you take vegan protein, you also want to take vegan collagen, which helps your body stimulate that production of natural collagen. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that actually. Now I'm going to have to look into that because endogenous production of collagen would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'll add that into what I'm doing. And there's a link between uh, meditation in your pineal gland in helping stimulate melatonin mm -hmm. that can also help stimulate the production of oh, interesting. and other minerals. Well, so I know a lot of recovery happens while you're sleeping. Mm. And melatonin is part of the sleep cycle, right? It's responsible yeah. for that REM stage of sleep. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's also, you know, the pituitary gland is close by, which produces growth hormone, mm -hmm. which again, you release during sleep. Mm. If you're not sleeping, you're not recovering. So you're not going to get that HGH production. You're not going to get that peptide production. Most of your muscle recovery happens while you're sleeping. We talked about protein synthesis. Yes. Most of that's happening when you're sleeping though. Yeah. So how important would you say is that sleep to your recovery? Paramount. Yeah. Paramount. I might even say that sleep is more important than training or nutrition. Yeah. <laughs> like that's your square one. Because mm -hmm. if you can't do that, you're not going to recover at all. I don't care what you're eating or how you're training. Okay. And 
Is there any, I guess you mentioned the growth hormones. Would you say like saunas has an effect on your growth hormones? Yeah. So sauna exposure has been shown. I believe the study I looked at was 30 minutes per day to dramatically increase the synthesis of growth hormone mm. to such a degree that it's almost like getting younger in a sense, because as we get older, we produce less and less growth hormone mm -hmm. until some people produce virtually none. And that really impacts our ability to recover. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say, would you say that like ice baths also has a role in recovery? I would say ice baths has a role in recovery in the sense that it can reduce inflammation and probably over time make your nervous system less sensitive to inflammation. Interesting. If you can learn how to relax in extreme cold, extreme heat, and just overall find comfort in the discomfort, mm -hmm. I would think that that has kind of a cascade effect of accelerating recovery because your body's just more relaxed. It's not stressed out all the time. It can do what it wants to do mm -hmm. instead of feeling like it's in fight or flight yeah. and diverting all of its resources toward that. Absolutely. And you know, the inflammation comes correlated to soreness, where mm -hmm. if you exercise a muscle, it's ripping, it's tearing, your body's going to send a lot of blood there and it's going to start inflaming itself. And you want to do the ice bath to essentially reduce the level of soreness. But I've also found that maybe not necessarily directly after the, the injury or let's say the exercise is bringing heat like sauna oh, or definitely. hot tub allows more blood flow to get to whatever area you're dealing with and actually increases the rehabilitation. You want to speak about that? Yeah. So when it comes to like icing an injury, it's usually we would want to do that when it's like just happened, like yeah. an acute injury. And often when that happens, you don't have access. So unfortunately, when I'm out doing something, I mean, I smashed my shin trail running last week, which I'm actually happy about. I'm always happy when I get a shin smash because I know it's going to get a little stronger, you know, but I didn't have ice. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, when I end up using ice on injuries, usually because I like winged my elbow into the wall and by accident, you know, in my apartment. Yeah. And then I get an ice pack out. So you want to immediately put it on there to reduce that swelling. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to actually recovering from the injury, mm -hmm. what they're finding is that ice doesn't really seem to do a whole lot like directly. That's why I said with like the ice bath, it's more of like a cascade effect. Yeah. But heat seems to like directly actually improve it. Like you were saying that improved blood flow. Mm -hmm. And I think also the suppliability of the tissue, it's more able to like, you know, expand and contract and move uninhibited when it's hot and has that blood. Yeah. Very recently I actually experienced that when I hurt my knee, we were, we were climbing, I jumped down from a bouldering and my patella moved out of place mm -hmm. immediately. And went and got an ice pack, put it on there. And it helped reduce the swelling that I got. But as soon as I got home, I started introducing heat to it. Mm -hmm. I took a Epsom salt bath. I have a, a heat pad I put on there. And we've been going to, you know, sauna, hot tub, and introducing that heat. And that created a lot of blood flow. And what I've noticed is when it's hot, I can move easier. I can, and this goes for, you know, this is why we warm up. It brings heat and blood flow into the muscles mm -hmm. and allows for easier movement. Where like if I'm sitting here and I get up, everything is going to feel all, you know. Yeah, especially the joints and exactly. the knee is an articulation point. Exactly. So that that's really important in rehabilitation where if you have something that's really sore or, you know, you actually experience an injury, you got a bruise or a broken hand, you might actually want to add some heat to it. And yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Use anything that you can, you know, if you don't have access to a sauna mm -hmm. or a hot tub, do 
do what Victor did. Take an Epsom salt bath at home. Get a you know a hot pad you can put on there. You can get an electric one or a water one. It doesn't cost much at all. Yeah, absolutely. At Farah Academy, we believe every person has unlimited potential waiting to be unleashed. Join our academy and discover your inner power through disciplines like Taekwondo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, martial arts weapons, and more. Our experienced instructors empower you with the skills, strength, and wisdom to become an unstoppable warrior. Train in a focused, inclusive environment where you'll progress quickly. Learn meditation, nutrition, and breathing techniques to develop a balanced body, mind, and spirit. Uncover your true potential and prepare for life's challenges at Farah Academy. Start your journey. Visit farahacademy.com today. And kind of going back to the nutrition one, you know, when you're taking in all these different nutrients, these different meals, you know, how important is your gut health to mm. training and to your health in general? Extremely important. Mm -hmm. That's going to determine how effective your body is at actually breaking these things down into a state in which they can be absorbed mm -hmm. and then delivered to the target area of the body and then utilized by that target area of the body. If your gut is super inflamed mm -hmm. or if you have like a huge growth of, you know, candida and you're having all kinds of, you know, gas and bloating and everything, I guarantee your body is not optimally going to be able to absorb the nutrients you're eating. Yeah. And I, I think that's something a lot of people sometimes ignore is gas, you know, where you're putting something into your system and that gas is your body telling you something. Hey, yeah. I'm not able to properly digest this. So it's creating gas in there and it's not necessarily the best thing. Yes. This happens for lactose intolerant. I'm lactose intolerant. Whenever I eat cheese, you don't want to be around me the next few hours because it can be farts. So yeah. I've severely reduced my, you know, lactose intake and I felt a lot better. Uh, you know, I, I can eat more and not feel as full and bloated. And would you say that like probiotics and taking probiotics is necessary or has any effect that you've seen? Well, it has an effect, but as to whether it's necessary is kind of a case by case basis. So for those of you that don't know, the reason that certain foods give you gas is that there are, you know, mechanical ways to break down food like chewing mm -hmm. and your stomach actually kind of like mechanically churns as well. That's why it grumbles when you're hungry. Then there's chemical ways to break down food like the acids in your stomach mm -hmm. or the enzymes it's producing. So if you aren't lactose intolerant, you produce a la uh, an enzyme called lactase, mm -hmm. and this chemically breaks it down. But if you don't have that, it ends up in your gut, and what's gonna break it down is the bacteria mm -hmm. that live in your gut. Now the bacteria in your gut, some of them are trying to help you, some of them aren't. And in this particular case, the bacteria that are gonna eat that lactose, they're essentially farting inside yeah. you. Yeah. They're producing that gas as a waste product that then you are gonna have to get rid of which is really weird to think about which is really weird to think <laughs> yeah. about yeah. yeah so some people would benefit by, by probiotics some people wouldn't mm -hmm. right now we don't have a great way to determine exactly which strains you want mm -hmm. and how you know what population size you need or anything like that yeah. so i don't personally take probiotics mm -hmm. i have taken them in the past if they work for you great just it's hard to kind of make a calculated decision about how to go about it. You're almost yeah. kind of taking a shot in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'd say you're experiencing a lot of stomach pains and a lot of things aren't working for you. You might want to try may benefit, mm -hmm. but you want to look at, you know, how, how many of those bacteria are in what you're taking. 
Like some of them may have a million, some of them may have a billion in that colony. Mm -hmm. And the number will have a very big effect, especially in how it's stored as well. Yeah. Like let's say you have, you're drinking kombucha, which has naturally occurring, you know, beneficial bacteria being produced in it, as long as it's made well, mm -hmm. versus likely you take a little pill that's been sitting on a counter for months, that may not have the same effect as a live culture. Yes. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to speak a little on foods mm -hmm. that naturally are probiotic. So a lot of fermented foods, they already contain these probiotic strains of bacteria. By the way, probiotic just means pro, good, right? Con, bad, so good bacteria. We want these ones. Yeah. They already have them in it because they're thriving off of the food. They're eating the food. So one of the ones that I recommend to people is a particular kind of yogurt, hmm. and it's called uh, kefir. Kefir, yeah. And I drank kefir every day for maybe a month or two. Mm -hmm. And after that, my ability to tolerate a much wider range of foods hmm. increased. It was like I could almost eat anything and my gut was never uncomfortable at all. So it did seem to have some effect of optimizing my gut microbiome. Hmm. And that for me was a lot more effective than the time that I had tried taking actual capsules. Mm -hmm. And before I took those capsules, I did a lot of research. Mm -hmm. You know, how many CFUs do I want? Which strains? What, I looked at a lot of clinical research. Didn't feel any different. Hmm. But the kefir for me was very effective. So, you know, yeah. find out what works for you. Absolutely. And you can eat, you know, uh, kimchi. That's also mm -hmm. has probiotics in it. Uh, kombucha. I believe skier also does. It's another fermented yogurt for it's Icelandic. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're getting kind of into creating a sustainable diet now where, you know, a lot of people will jump on this trend or this fad that's coming around. Well, let's say like keto, for example. Oh yeah. And, or, you know, calorie counting, weight watchers, and they'll do it for a month, two, three, four months. Mm. They'll essentially change their entire way of eating. They're not necessarily happy with it. They feel hungry all the time, or they don't feel very happy with what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And then they'll just go right back into, <laughs> they'll, they'll lose some weight. Right? And then you, they'll go right back into their old habits. Yes. And then all that weight comes back threefold. Yes. You want to speak about like how to create a sustainable habit and avoiding these kind of fad traps? Yeah. I think the first thing I want to say is I want to illustrate the importance of doing that hmm. by just explaining that the vast majority of people who lose a significant am um, amount of weight, like more than 15 pounds, the vast majority of those people gain it back within the next few months. Hmm. And the reason that they relapse like this is like how Victor is saying, their model they created to begin with was not sustainable. So the two things are, do you actually enjoy eating the food you're eating? Mm. Does it taste like cardboard or are you excited to eat it? Yeah. And the second thing is, are these foods actually filling to you? Mm. Are you feeling like you are satiated or are you going through your day feeling like you're starving, torturing yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Because if it doesn't taste good and you're starving, I guarantee you're ready for relapse. So if you're out there listening to this and you want to lose some weight, I want to tell you, you can definitely do this. And it's actually easier than you might think it is. But you need to go into it with a mentality that if you don't enjoy eating the food that you eat and you don't feel full from it, you will absolutely relapse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I think it's a better approach to remove small things from the diet and then see their effect, see how you're dealing with it. Like for me, 
one of the first things I removed, like I was saying earlier, was soda. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would drink three, four, five cans of soda a day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that has so much sugar in it. Yeah. And just from removing soda from my diet did drastic effects. And I go out of my way not to drink soda. Probably the first time I drank soda was maybe a month ago mm-hmm. at a movie theater. And I was like, I, I want to get a movie theater, you know, soda and popcorn. Soda. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't been in a movie theater in a year, so I got yeah. myself a big soda. And I, I could taste the sugar in every single sip. I was like, I don't know how oh, I used yeah. to drink this all the time. It, it, when you stop drinking soda, mm-hmm. and I'm curious if you experience this, because I also, once in a blue moon, my guilty pleasure is Coca-Cola. And the glass <laughs> bottle, you got to open it with the bottle opener. Okay. But, you know, once in a blue moon, once yeah. every few months or something. When I was young, though, I drank a lot of soda. I know you did, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When I drank a soda when I was young, it felt refreshing. Mm-hmm. When I drink a soda now, once you quit drinking soda, it's like syrup. It oh. feels and tastes like syrup, not like a refreshing liquid. Yes. So you experienced that, too? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I much now prefer seltzer um, mm-hmm. just because it, it's, it does the same thing. You get the carbonation. It's refreshing. It's cold. It's actually more like refreshing. Yeah. And you don't get that sugary feel. So you still kind of, you feel more hydrated and you don't feel like it's, you know, getting into your blood system. You know? yeah, it kind of like sends you up and you're a little jittery. Yeah. And then it kind of crashes you back down. Yeah. I, I didn't so much like that feeling yeah, about it. Yeah, me either. Yeah. So, you know, the best ways I would say to creating a sustainable diet is look at what you're eating. Find out what has a lot of sugar, a lot of fat, and, you know, start maybe reducing those things and, you know, maybe you need to exercise a little bit more mm-hmm. because that, that's also going to help burn those calories. It's going to help increase your metabolism where you're burning off a lot of that excess energy in mm-hmm. your body and creating balance between those is going to help, you know, have a longer term effect. Rather than like all of a sudden you cut all this stuff out and then you can't stand it. Yeah. You know, people, I think I brought this up before, they tend to want to swing from one end of something to the other. Mm -hmm. And that's not really realistic. It's like you want to kind of gradually make these changes so it feels comfortable. Yeah. So a couple things I want to point out Mm -hmm. is some foods are more filling than others, but actually have less calories. So if you're trying to lose weight, you want to gravitate towards foods that are very filling, but low in calories. The mm. foods that are the most filling and lowest in calories are the foods that are highest in water and fiber. So fruits, vegetables, leafy greens, like you eat a few handfuls of spinach, you're like, I'm good. Yeah. But that was barely any calories at all. Now, vice versa, you're trying to gain weight, do the opposite. Find the foods that are very high in calories. This is what we call caloric density. Mm. All the calories are compacted. So like nuts, for example, seeds, are the highest density, yeah. right? You could just be eating that like all day or like peanut butter, even better, because now it's like processed in a way that's easier to eat. Yeah. Almond butter, peanut butter. And you eat a few spoonfuls of that, you're racking up the calories. It's just like you're not even close to full. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. And, you know, a lot of people also have trouble like when they go out to eat with people in oh, their yeah. social life and creating a good routine and keeping it, especially when you go out. You know, yeah. Would you get, want to give any advice on, you know, how to do that or how to handle those situations? Yeah. So one of the things that you can do is actually eat before you go out, mm-hmm. eat something at home or from a place that is healthy. Mm-hmm. And then when you go out, you know, it might be tempting to eat 
with the other people there, but go into it knowing like, okay, I don't have to do what other people are doing. I have my own plan with my nutrition and diet. And the reason I'm really here isn't to eat. It's to socialize and spend time with my friends and enjoy being with them. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't need to like hedonistically, you know, eat a ton of food, even if they are, but it'll be easier if you already go in satiated. Don't go in hungry. That's a good point. Yeah. And for, you know, dietary restrictions, let's say, you know, you're vegetarian or vegan and there can be a lot of restrictions. Let's say if you go to a steakhouse, you know, have very little options for, mm-hmm. you know, vegetarians and vegans. So it's about, you know, picking the right places to eat mm-hmm. as well as, you know, being ready. If they don't have anything there, maybe, you know, you ate before you went. So you're mm-hmm. not as hungry. You're not required to, you know, rely on that specific outlet of food yeah. for, for your, you know, your, your nutrition and the social pressures of other people eating, especially like I'm personally a vegetarian and you know, I still crave meat. So when I go into the situations where there's a lot of meat, you know, sometimes I get a craving and it's about your determination in not eating those things that you make a decision to like, instead of ordering, you know, the, let's say pound and a half steak, maybe you get the chicken if you Mm -hmm. eat meat Mm -hmm. or, you know, instead of ordering the really high fat dessert at the end of the meal maybe you don't eat dessert that day you know it's about making like these small but really impactful choices in not only your private setting but in your social setting as well i like how you just said that about maybe you don't eat dessert Hmm. that day because a great way to maintain your weight Hmm. is to think about the calories you eat every day as currency Hmm. think about this almost like you're trying to be effective financially so you have let's say to maintain your current weight, that Victor has to eat 2,500 calories a day. Mm. And I think probably for you, it will be somewhere between 2,000 and 2,500. If you're working out a lot, it's gonna be more. If you're working out less, it's gonna be less. Mm. So now basically Victor has $2,000. So if he goes and he eats the steak, he's spent a certain amount on that. And if he goes and he eats the dessert, now he's gonna be in debt. He's spent too much money. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So make decisions based on that. Say, well, I really wanna eat some ice cream today. I haven't had it in a long time then maybe don't eat a bag of potato chips that day, right? Don't put all of these junk food things together or you're gonna quickly overconsume calories. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, you know, do you have your own customized diet plan that you follow at the moment? I do, so at the moment, I've kind of been going more organically, just kind of winging it. Mm -hmm. Like at this point, I know what my body needs, I know what foods are healthy and aren't, and I'm not trying to be the biggest, most muscular version of myself. I've already done that. Maybe in the future, I will do that again. Mm -hmm. But when I was doing that, I did create a meal plan for myself and I put it on spreadsheets to make sure that I had exactly the quantities of percentages of macros that I needed, Mm -hmm. make sure that my sugar level and sodium level was low enough, make sure I was hitting all my essential, you know, micro levels. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it tasted amazing. And I, it was really, not filling because I was trying to gain weight so I could eat a ton of it. And it was super effective. I, you know, bulked up during that diet plan, I think 30 pounds. Nice. During that bulk, yeah. Wow. And you just mentioned something really important. I think a lot of people underestimate is sodium. Mm-hmm. And they, like, sodium is important. You definitely need sodium. But especially when you eat meat, a lot of people put a lot of salt in their food. Mm-hmm. And sodium can really dry you out. And it can have a lot of different effects in your system, especially 
you know, if you don't have the healthiest diet mm -hmm. where it's you're going to have problems going to the bathroom and having to push harder and that can have different effects through your bowels. And it's really important to maintain a moderate or low level of sodium in your diet so that you're not experiencing problems in your digestive system. Yeah. yeah. So sodium is similar to water kind of in this regard where it's relevant, it's relative to the needs of the individual mm -hmm. and the athlete. So for a lot of people, if you're like inactive, you're probably over consuming sodium. And as Victor said, it affects your health. It also affects your heart health. So it's important for longevity not to over consume sodium. But if you're an athlete and you're sweating a ton, especially if you're like an endurance, you do some kind of endurance training or a martial artist and you're going long rounds of sparring, your sodium needs are higher. And you may actually, if you eat really healthy and you cook all your own food, you'll become sodium deficient if you don't mm, add sodium. That's important. Yeah, so make sure you add a pinch of ideally like Himalayan sea salt to your home-cooked meals if you only cook at home and you eat super healthy. Yeah, then you're exercising and getting all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, personally, my diet, you know, I've modified it through the years where I, I think the biggest things I've taken out are is sugar, mm -hmm. where I, I really only try to have sugar when I'm exercising. And aside from that, I try not to eat really high fatty stuff where, you know, deep fried, fried foods, potato chips. I save those for snacks. Maybe we're going on a long drive and, you know, I'll have some potato chips. Mm -hmm. And it's really restricting those things that I don't necessarily need, but increasing the things I do, like, mm -hmm. you know, leafy greens protein especially different kinds of proteins because i am vegetarian mm. there was a while i had lost a decent amount of muscle mass because i wasn't getting enough protein right so i had to significantly increase my my protein intake in order to not only maintain but increase my muscle mass so you know your diet plan is going to be extremely dependent on your lifestyle on what you do and you know you can't really create a generalized diet plan for everybody because everyone's doing something different. Yeah. And that's where essentially someone like yourself that has a lot of experience and knowledge and nutrition comes in handy and saying, Hey, what are you eating now? What do you like to eat? Let's create a good plan that you are going to stay to and actually commit to. Mm -hmm. And that becomes really important in whatever plan that you decide to do, you need to commit to it. And you know, it's okay to step off a little bit, but coming back to it is really important where, you know, you're not straying off for like a whole month and going on like a sugar binge because then yeah. that's going to have all of the negative effects and then you're going to be in a whole world of hurt. Yeah. Yeah. We all like sweets. I mean, like you said, all yeah. your, you got a whole mouthful of sweet teeth, apparently. <laughs> but there are healthier ways to go about that too. Yeah. So for example, like if people really like sweets, if you're just eating candy all the time, Berries might not taste sweet to you, but over time they will. Like for me, if I'm craving sweets, mm. I'll just eat like a handful of blueberries or like some strawberries or something like that. Just wait long enough. There's barely any fructose in that. Like you, the amount of blueberries you would have to eat in order for the amount of fructose in your body to be problematic is like astronomical. Yeah. Even probably like the eating contest champion of earth probably couldn't even do that. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's mostly water. Yeah. I think it was maybe, uh, I don't know how long ago now, like eight years ago. I actually ended up in the hospital for digestive issues. Hmm. Uh, so my stomach produces an excessive amount of acids. 
Mm. And in turn, like that makes its way down my digestional tract. So to the small and large intestines. And I was intaking a lot of acidic foods, like, you know, tomato soup, coffee, especially. That was a big one. For oh, me. yeah. And it ended up creating stomach ulcers where I was having a lot of stomach pains Dude. whenever I ate almost anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you eat, your stomach acids increase to break down all that food. And I would feel indigestion. I'd feel gas. And I also wasn't taking enough fiber. I was overeating sodium. And I wasn't drinking enough water. And I ended up going to the hospital because I became extremely constipated and I have hemorrhoids where I wasn't able to, to push because the, so hemorrhoids is essentially your, the, there's a vein inside of your rectum. It can swell up yeah. and like pressurize. It becomes really painful, yeah. especially when you have a bowel movement. And I have internal and external hemorrhoids. And I ended up having to go to the hospital so I could go to the bathroom. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it became this really big situation where they gave me oxycodone. And oh, I'm man. apparently allergic to oxycodone. Oh, no. This and, keeps getting worse. Yeah, I became constipated, so I couldn't pee. Oh. So I had to go back to the boy. hospital to get a catheter to put in so I could pee. Oh, no. That was bad. Wow. After that experience, I completely changed my diet. I was about to ask. Yeah. Like, that's probably a wake-up call, right? I've reduced my, my coffee intake to almost none. Mm-hmm. Now I actually drink uh, Rise, which is a uh, like mushroom-based coffee. Those it's are pretty popular in, now. It, it's been working pretty well. Yeah. I, I definitely like it more than just drinking straight coffee. Huh. Because it's not as acidic. Mm. I can definitely feel it in my stomach. I see. And I reduced a lot of the sodium i increase my fiber intake now fiber really helps with you know your bowel movement and keeping everything together and allowing yourself to essentially push poop out of you easier yeah and so if you're having any of these troubles you want to definitely lower your sodium intake increase your fiber definitely watch the acidic food levels like coffee tomatoes there's a lot of foods that are acidic that we often neglect and don't think about that Mm -hmm. You know, as you build up and you're starting to have these pains, you you might not be thinking about it. And these foods that you're eating are actually having a negative effect on you. Yeah, some you know? people can't actually feel that effect. Mm. And some people can. Mm. This is what we call interoception. Some people have a stronger ability to sense what's happening inside their body. Other people can't even tell. So they're eating these foods and it's damaging them. They don't even know. Yeah. So I had kind of the opposite problem of Victor which was that I had reflux disease. So rather than that overproduction of acid going down into my gut, it was going up into my esophagus. Now what ends up happening when that takes place is that the cells in your esophagus think, oh, there's a lot of acid here. We need to become more resistant to that acid. So they start mutating into stomach cells. They're supposed to be esophagus cells though. Mm. And when they start mutating into stomach cells, that accelerated rate of mutation lends itself to the development of esophagus cancer. Because oh. now you're having this cell turnover is too high and the free radical potential is amplifying. So I was also eating foods that were acidic that was causing this. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this condition is called Barrett's esophagus. It's mm-hmm. considered precancerous. So it kind of starts reflux, Barrett's esophageal cancer. Oh. So I cut out tomatoes. That was one that was really getting me. Yeah. And I stopped drinking coffee for a while. What I ended up eventually finding, you know, once the damage had healed, was that 
the combination of foods you eat is a huge factor. Yeah. Because so there's foods that are very basic and will actually kind of cut that down as well. So for example, I like coffee. Mm-hmm. If I put a shot of espresso with like some oat milk or something, I don't feel any acidity at all. You give me some black coffee, no, yeah. that's going to be bad. Yeah. Yeah. And that milk cuts, it's, milk is basic, is going to cut the level of acidity in your coffee and make it more tolerable. That's something that yes. I definitely experienced too. Yes. Yeah. We've all seen, you know, those like hot ones and stuff, you know, where they're eating like crazy spicy food and they, what do they eat? Ooh. Ice nope. cream yeah. or milk. Yeah. yeah. But even better, the ice cream is cold too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, the fats in it will just kind of help that bring that acidity down and like yeah. cool everything back down. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. So kind of just to review a lot of what we've talked about so far is, you know, if you're having trouble maintaining or getting to a strict diet, you know, maybe don't have such a drastic change where you look at the little things that you're doing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're having ice cream for dessert every night. Maybe cut it down to like twice and twice a week. So on, on the ice cream thing. Yeah. It's really, really, like, I love ice cream. Me too. Yeah, if I had, like, a favorite sweet, probably that. Maybe cookies is a close second. But it's ice so... Ice cream on cookies? Well, that's the, that's the perfect, <laughs> yeah, a la mode. The problem is these foods are so tempting to eat that if you simply just have them in your house, it's maybe you have self... It's like you have self-control till you don't. Yeah. You know, I have pretty good self-control with that. I, I can put ice cream in my freezer, no joke, and not touch it for months. Then I'll have that one bad day, and that ice cream is gone in one sitting. Yeah. So only buy what you are, what you want to eat mm-hmm. Buy smaller portions. Yeah. You want ice cream? Go get like a tiny, like ice cream bar or something and just eat it. Yeah. You want potato chips? Get one of those little travel bags. Don't get the family size bag and think you're going to have self-control. That's a good point. Yeah. Like I love Oreos. And if I buy the family size pack, I will eat this family size pack. Yes. <laughs> if I buy the tiny little roll, I'll eat the tiny little roll. So, yeah. you know, whatever I buy, I will eat and it'll be gone in the same day. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And if you eat the family size, you're going to be family size. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I also, like you said, you know, more the gradual approach too, because one of the things that makes a lot of these weight loss programs so unsustainable is how mm-hmm. aggressively mm-hmm. they cut calories. Yes. And I'm going to tell you right now, unless you have like a mind of iron that significantly reducing your calories is going to drive you insane. Like mm-hmm. you're going to be so grumpy, hungry, tired. I would never recommend a deficit of calories greater than 500 calories. Hmm. So we talked about how to establish where your baseline is, Hmm. right? With using a calorie calculator and a scale. Once you have that baseline, I'd recommend maybe just two or 300 calories below that. And if you can handle 500 calories below that, cool. Probably wouldn't go any less than that. You're Hmm. just going to be miserable. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can incorporate exercises to help reduce that weight. Mm-hmm. You know, going on a run, maybe you're on the bike, maybe you're training martial arts, calisthenics, strength training. All of these things are going to have that kind of compounding impact on top of that diet where, you know, if you aren't doing those and you're just relying on the diet, it may take you a lot longer to see those, those benefits come in. Totally. Yeah. So this is something that is important to recognize is the more calories you're, that you're burning, you could eat more food. Because ultimately, it's like you have kind of a a hypothetical scale. How much energy are you using that day? How much food are you eating that day? Mm -hmm. So if the amount of food you're eating exceeds the amount that you're actually moving, you gain weight. If the amount that you're moving exceeds the amount that you're eating, you lose weight. So one way to be able to be able to lose weight without 
feel like you're starving is just move more. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've tried both approaches. Yeah. I've been incredibly lean before. I think, like I said, I've been down to probably five, six percent body fat. And I've taken an approach of just caloric restriction. And I've taken an approach where there was more cardio dominant. Mm -hmm. And the cardio dominant approach had superior results. Hmm. I would not base weight loss entirely on dieting. Yeah. It really needs to be a combination of exercise and diet. I agree. I've had very similar experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard this from other people too, anecdotally as well. Yeah. yeah. And with that cardio, like I can eat sugar and not feel that same effect. Yeah. You know? And I've I've actually noticed that, you know, the the healthier I get in doing my exercises, the less sugar and the less trash food I want to eat. Because mm -hmm. I'm starting to see those beneficial impacts in my life. And then I want to keep going. Yes. You know, I don't want to fall off and then go back to being, you know, a couch potato, which totally. I was for a while. So, you know, the more progress you make, the more you want to stay at it. And as long as it's gradual, then it becomes a lot easier to, to implement. Yeah. yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, it's like you're making an investment. You're working hard. You're building something. Mm -hmm. So the more that you build that, you're not going to want to throw that away. It took this time and effort. You're proud of it. Plus, you're going to feel great. You're going to look great. And you're not going to want to stop feeling or looking great. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that pretty much covers like a lot of the nutritional aspect and recovery. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of throw in there? Or I feel like those. I think the final thing that I would say is just to the best of your abilities, try to try to avoid foods that are processed yes you know minimal processing might be okay like if you want like some you know natural peanut butter or something like that like sure that's processed but ultra refined carbohydrates and sugars like corn syrup and that kind of stuff try to stay away from it the more real food you eat the better yeah this kind of brings up a, an important thing i kind of forgot to mention where you know the the quality of food is extremely important and the nutrients that you're going to get out of it yeah for example, you're, if you're eating food that has been grown in soil that doesn't have a lot of nutrients and has oh, been yeah. using a lot of pesticides, like you can taste the difference when you, you, know, you eat really good organic food or let's say even homegrown food. Mm -hmm. And especially those of you who have you know, gone outside of the country, let's say you've gone to Mexico, their food tastes a lot richer. Yeah. Like I will eat about half the amount of food when I go outside of the country and it feels a lot more filling and it has a lot more nutrients because it's grown differently where a lot of our agriculture is meant to create mass amounts of food, but it may be lacking in those nutrition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of other ways of growing food that, you know, it retains, it, it takes that energy from the sun, from the water, from the soil and it creates healthier food. Yeah. So the quality of food that you're putting into your body, the less processed it is, the better grown it is, you're going to see the impacts in yourself. You're going to be able to eat less food. You're going to feel fuller and you're going to feel healthier just by literally choosing the better option. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you go to the supermarket, that's step one is choosing the healthier foods. Definitely. Maybe you're picking more organic foods for this reason where they're not grown with a bunch of pesticides and you know it's going to be better for you to put that in your body rather than all this other trash that is around yeah i 100 percent agree with that 
I guess I'll point out like a couple of maybe the most important ones to be mindful of would be strawberries mm. because this is going to be the highest use of pesticides. Mm. So, you know, not everybody can afford organic groceries. It does cost more. But if you're going to eat strawberries, I highly recommend that you get them organic because otherwise they will inherently be absolutely covered, like just way more pesticides than you would find on most foods. Mm. And the second thing is animal products. This also applies to animal products. And I might even say even more so that if you're going to be drinking milk or eating eggs or eating meat, make sure, guys, get that from an animal that was raised properly, you know, outside, organically, given its proper feed, given space to move around, yes. doesn't have, you know, growth hormones and antibiotics and any of that kind of stuff in it. Yeah, it's going to be in their blood system, in the meat, and yep. you're putting that in you. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, so it's super important. Exactly. Yeah. I think that pretty much wraps it up. If you all want to learn more, make sure you subscribe. We're going to be going into other aspects of training, recovery, and improvement. You can go to fairacademy.com slash you. Check out more information, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for joining Victor and Andy on The Unlimited You. Make sure to visit our website, www.fairacademy.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode.